In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Rods and Books, the podcast with one unique theme, four handpicked book recommendations, and two broads. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin, and this is episode number 27, Uppers and Downers. Do you remember Will and Grace and Karen, and, you know, she has a real proclivity for this kind of stuff. Yes. And one of my favorite lines of hers is Uppers, Downers, and Candy Corn, mixed all together. Yeah. That's Delightful. A That's it a is. party That's right a there. Party. Yeah. <laughs> In case you couldn't tell, we're talking about drugs this week. All we're talking about picks. That has some sort of drug element. And in solidarity with that, podcast out there getting weird like she's on drugs. <laughs> she is getting Just weird. That's how the Running up and down started. the stairs. Yeah. Meowing for no reason. Not a murdery meow. Maybe on an upper right now then? She might be on an okay. upper. Yeah. And we'll probably see her go to a downer. She will. <laughs> Pretty quick. <laughs> we'll crash real hard. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which reminds me of that Saved by the Bell. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> Greatest piece of acting uh, ever. Jesse Spano. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if you weren't a Saved by the Bell aficionado, I think everybody knows Everyone's that. Everyone's seen that. Yeah. yeah. It's like a major GIF meme thing. Yeah. But yeah. And what was she on? Like caffeine pills? <laughs> so real, real hard stuff. Basically jolt. <laughs> the can form. Before Starbucks was a thing, she was taking caffeine. <laughs> Before triple espresso. That's what she's scared of. Which we've all been there. We've all had that one oh, extra cup of coffee there. and thought, and you're like, oh, oh dear God, what, what have I done? It's coursing through my veins as we speak. <laughs> Everything's moving slow motion. Why are you so slow? <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So, okay. yeah, we're talking about drugs. We are. And, you know, drugs have good qualities, bad qualities. They They're do. all over the board. All, all over, over the board. The board. But, but if you could create a drug that gave you something, Ooh. like 
superpowers, mm-hmm. singing talent, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. What would you, what would you create? You know, I'd love to have some superpowers. I'd love to have singing talent, all that kind of stuff. But I'd like a drug that made me look like a man for like a day. Like when I needed to get some shit done and I wanted someone oh. to like take me at face value and not give me the like, oh, oh, do you know what you're talking about kind of thing? Take a drug, look like a man. Boom. Genius. Easy life. Genius. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't even consider that as a possibility. Now my I mind mean, is blown. Right? We need to engage in some weird science in order to make this sure. happen. I'm envisioning yeah. some sort of hologram element that's like laying over our skin kind okay. of thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. Did, yeah. You, did you go a little <laughs> David Bowie there? Is that what happened? Or yep. Okay. All yep. right. Yep. I thought, I thought yep. you were tiptoeing in it, but maybe kind of <laughs> trying to mask it. Like, no, it's just weird science. It's fine. Okay. No, that's yeah. good. I like it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. If you could take a drug or create a drug, I should say, that took away something, not like add something mm-hmm. like I was going to do, mm-hmm. but if it could take something away, mm-hmm. what would you do? My give a shit bone. Oh. <laughs> Just out. Just there are times when it serves you well. It's important. Yes. But there are times when I wish that I could just let something go yes. or I wish I could just like say, I don't care. This is what's right and I'm going to power through. Yeah. But a lot of times, and maybe that's called a conscious. I'm not sure. But mm, that, yeah. you know, prevents me from just plowing forward. But I think it's more that. Like, yeah. I, I just, there's a part of me that has like empathy overload. So if I could just take that out sometimes, that'd be great. So what you need is like a super powered Xanax that just like yeah. mellows you out, but uh-huh. also is like, you know what? I don't give a shit. But I don't even want the mellowed out part. I want oh. solely like, I don't care. Okay. Okay. Like, Real intense, crazy. I don't care. <laughs> Get it? I don't care. I'm going to do this and I don't care. So, when you're high on this drug, mm-hmm. you are just going to go through life, mm-hmm. not care a damn thing. I'm not going to have any of that thinks. like emotional hangover later. Yes. Where you're like, oh, I feel so rattled by everything I had to do. Yes. Or yeah. when you're like um, second guessing things that yes. you've done. No, yeah. no. I'd be like, I didn't. Doesn't matter. I understand that your feelings feel trampled, but this was, this is the reason for the decision and I don't care. It's glorious. Right? I want that drug too. Right. We've got a lot of mad sciencing right. to do. Some things to get done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Uh I mean, okay, so more like the traditional use of drugs. Sure. Is there some like things in your daily life that you wish that you could just take a drug to get through? Like mm-hmm. Maybe not on a daily life, but I wish I could take a drug to just uh, forget the whole pap smear experience. Oh, yeah. Right? Right. right? Okay. Just sort of right. like maybe be aware during that, but not feel anything, not feel the embarrassment, not feel the like, oh, that's going in. There it oh, goes. God, oh, yeah. it feels so gross. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. All of that. If we could take a drug to just remove that okay. out of memory and out of sensation, I'm in. What if we could just take a drug that gave you the same information that they get from a pap smear? Oh, my God. Like you swallow it and then it spits out a number or something. It's like, like a you know little what? transmitter Your service and it is goes fine. to like a computer and they're like, <laughs> everything computes. It's great. You're fine. No HPV here. No ovarian cancer. Yay. Perfectly functioning. Whatever. Yeah. would be delightful. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, even the look of the speculum, I see that coming and I'm like, nope. No. Seizing up. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I want. Yeah, I like it. I well, think you know, a good choice. I mean, we're talking about a lot of drugs. And I think in our 20-some episodes now, this is our 27th episode. 27. We've talked a lot about you and your criminal proclivities yeah, and your desires. Yeah. Um, so I kind of know the answer to this question, but I want to hear you say it anyway. Okay. Could you make it as a drug kingpin? And what would be your number one rule for that cartel? Okay. 
Obviously, yes, is yeah, the answer. Yeah. Yes. Done. Yeah. Uh-huh. I could run a drug cartel like it's nobody's mm-hmm. business. And the reason I say that is because part of my, what I said earlier about the give a shit bone, like in my normal business life prevents me from making certain cutthroat decisions. Sure. Where in a drug cartel, those are going to be embraced oh God, and important. Right. So no problems there. Second of all, I would refer to our drug cartel as a sleeper cell, which means <laughs> that I will employ all people that are very, uh, anti-drug dealer looking. Whoa. Yeah. You're not going to have any, there's going to be no assumptions. Yeah. And we're going to smile and seem innocent until oh, we're God. not. Yes. So, because I think probably the most unnerving thing is people that are able to commit crimes and smile. Yeah. So, so you need like a cheerleading squad or something or a yeah, I don't need, squad yeah. to, you know, be, do your bidding. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Except I, you know, even though they kind of have a bad rap, I feel like there's yeah, been some, st- some horror movie, that type of thing yeah, yeah, in that right. realm. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking more like mom that makes the homemade treats yes really good organic treats yes or you know that librarian that's really good at finding that book you want guess what else she's really good at finding yeah we're everywhere i'm just saying because that's the other thing is that when you run a successful drug cartel number one is that people focus too much on the business out of the gate and Mm. they don't focus on the competition yeah. You need to keep both in your eyesight because in order to have a good business, you need to know what your competition is doing. Yeah. So I need to know all, at all times what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. So if you think that you're actually talking to a different drug cartel, you're not. You're talking to us. Wow. Now you're screwed. Now you are screwed. Okay. So we've talked in the past about how you're taking over and your uh, Jeff Bezos is in your you know yeah, well, target line. Li- li- and yeah. I'd be your like corporate espionage person. Can yeah. I be your cartel espionage person too? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. Because um, remember, I've talked about, you know, I'm willing to do a, be a drug mule. Yeah, for you a are. Day yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you are. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you're in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God. This podcast is really developing into something else. It is, and I don't, I don't mind it. I mean, other than the fact that it's definitely going to be used against me in a court of law, definitely going to. I, uh, I'm fine with it, really. I think. I mean, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the you know line in in most of these picks. I would say mm-hmm. when uh, you know people start getting involved in in drugs mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm gonna move into our picks. I what think you should. Think? Yeah. I think you should. Yeah. Okay. Probably before I get crazier. And- <laughs> implicate myself it's, in more crimes it's really saving you is yes, what it's doing you. see yes. this is why you are you have to be involved yeah because otherwise i, I gotta stop you mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. incriminating yourself too deeply because you want to talk about it you just want to let everyone know i now pictured like a border meeting of like my drug dealers <laughs> and me talking and then amy being in the back just like just giving me the cutoff it. sign she's like no. hey we're gonna take a donut break <laughs> and then they're pulling me in the room and like what are you doing we talked about this no <laughs> No, Aaron. I need to start like having an air horn when you yeah. say too much and just, you know, yeah. doing that. And then you're like, oh, okay. right, right, sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah. everybody, free Starbucks downstairs. Oh, man. Shit. Yeah. And then we just like back up like, oh, PR nightmare. How are we going to fix this? <laughs> like, Let's fire them all and get new ones. <laughs> A PR nightmare for the cartel. That'd be interesting. Well, p- competition is always waiting to true. capitalize on your mistakes. That's true. By the way, in the show Orphan Black... Um, there's a, a lot of you know clones of one particular person. One of them is a soccer mom who starts dealing pills from her back seat as she's handing out candy and See, I don't treats. Think that's See? that off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're on it. You yeah. know it. I got it. All right. Anyway. Oh boy. Okay. For us. <laughs> well, my first pick is a novel called My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Oh, 
Did you do this? No. Oh, the I, look on your face. You were like, oh. So I'm so excited to okay. hear what you thought about it. It's by Otessa Moshfeg. Mm-hmm. Um, it's from 2018. And the story starts in the year 2000. And there's this 24-year-old woman at the center of the book who's young and she's thin and pretty and rich. She's living on the Upper East Side because she's got an inheritance. Everything about what you just said with that tone is fantastic. <laughs> She's young and thin and pretty. <laughs> All the things that should be great by the standards of society. Right, I mean, right, she right, should right, be right. killing it. But she just feels really empty. Mm. And she has a dick boyfriend. Mm. She has a really needy best friend. There's a real weird dynamic there. It's not a really a ride or die. It's a real twisted friendship. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So our character, she starts taking drugs, mm. recommended by one of the worst psychiatrists to ever psychiatry. <laughs> In the land. (laughs) (laughs) And with the help of this worst psychiatrist, um, she starts taking these drugs. She starts mixing the drugs. She starts adding to them. She starts taking more until she's knocked out a lot of the time. And the rest of the time, she's just watching the same old VHS tapes again and again and again. Um, Then she starts taking experimental drugs. Um, And this drug, uh, it blacks her out for three days straight. After which she wakes up and she's got weird clothes on and she's been in weird places after clubbing and shopping and going to spas because she's still functioning while she's blacked out and she's doing all this weird shit. What? Yeah. (laughs) So increasingly, yeah, increasingly she is living only to sleep. Like that's her goal. She just wants to be unconscious through her life. But she starts concocting this plan where she's going to sleep for months, like hibernate. And when she comes out of this, it'll be like coming out of a cocoon, like a better, more adjusted person. So she starts putting this plan into place. And of course, she hel- or she enlists the help of a deranged performance artist to watch her and nothing can go wrong Obviously. with yeah, this plan. No, this all yeah. sounds great. <laughs> I liked this book because I think one of the reasons we take drugs, both legal and illegal, is because modern life, there's just a lot of things missing from modern life. Sure. And I think a lot of us feel empty in a lot of ways. And so this really digs into that That's a feeling. good point. Um, I like, too, that it's set in 2000 in a time where New York, like, everything just felt possible. It's before 9-11. It's before right. everything feels sort of rich and ready for the taking. Um, I also like that... The idea of even um, drugs designed to help us function better, you know, actual psychiatric drugs by good mm-hmm. psychiatrists, they can uh, they can be um, a little uh, complex when it comes to like adding them and everything. Yeah. And it, it's taken to its absurdist conclusion, really, when it comes down to it. She wants to sleep, 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 which, hey, I love sleeping. Sounds great. It does. I like the idea of hibernating during the winter, waking back up in the spring. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. It doesn't go as well no, as yeah, we think yeah, it yeah. might. Execution's tough. Yeah. <laughs> so the book is funny. It's weird. It's dark. It's gross in some places. Mm-hmm. It's all the things. You're never going to meet another character like this character. And it's just a wild ride when you get into it. Oh, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Drugs, drugs, drugs. <laughs> All change the, the title. Drugs. <laughs> drug, drug, drugs. All the drugs. I'm sleeping for a year. Let's combine the drugs. There's long passages where she's just like, this drug is good for this, and this drug is good for this. So let's see what happens when it comes together. And oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Some boy. real mad, weird science happening. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I like it. Yeah. Okay. I recommend it. I have okay. it downstairs if you want to borrow it. Oh, well, geez. Let's add it to the stack yes. of your books that I have. <laughs> well, uh, my fiction pick, I'm going to come out of the gate and say this is controversial right out of the gate. Ooh. Yep. 
And I picked it for a reason. I'm going to fully explain it. Okay. So stay tuned. You don't have to. You don't have to cut out right away. If you've heard this, read about it, had some controversy. No, just I I have to sit here. Well, yeah, you have to sit, so you're screwed. But you know. Um, so I picked A Million Little Pieces by James Bray. That's what we were going to do. Yeah. And this was first published in 2003. Um, and I'll tell you about the story first if you haven't heard of it, and then I'll explain the controversy, and then I'll explain why I still picked it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this is a story of drug addiction, alcohol mm-hmm. abuse, um, a look at treatment, rehabs, particularly ones that don't end in great self-discovery or mm-hmm. success. Um, it's gritty it's unpredictable it's a real kind of deep tale about kind of the psyche of someone in that mode of you know their thought process of maybe why they're taking drugs why they don't want to get out of it how they're deluding themselves deluding people around them so it's a first-hand account now if you've heard of this book um it became scandalous because oprah famously picked it. Mm-hmm. it like i said it was published in 2003 she famously picked it for oprah's book club pick mm-hmm. and prior to that it had kind of flown under the radar it wasn't super popular um obviously as oprah is able to do it went nuts mm-hmm. and went crazy which prompted a few um as you know journalists investigative people like to do looking into some of the facts of the story and the smoking gun published an article in 2006 that basically they couldn't find there's some arrests and things in the story and they couldn't find any evidence of this from the author because this was published originally as a memoir. Mm-hmm. So that means that it's supposed to be autobiographical in nature, that it's supposed to be, you're purporting it to be true to some degree because that's memoir is considered part of a nonfiction. Right. So they couldn't verify some of these details. They couldn't even verify necessarily some of the other characters that were deeply included in some of these rehab experiences. So, of course, this led to this huge backlash. They go back to the publisher. They went back to James Fry's editor. They go back to Oprah. Oprah famously has him on, has the editor on. And just reams into him. Reams him, which when you read the whole story, they were actually told that they were being brought on to talk about the drug (gasps) epidemic in America and then ambushed on the show. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, at first, the publisher stood by him and said, you know, this is... Yes, we published it as memoir. Yes, there could be things that are different. You know, they kind of tried to explain their way out of it. Then famously, they backed away from it and said, turns out none of our fact checkers did their job. <laughs> like, they just kind of like threw them under the bus hard. Okay. Well, now, on the other side, the author was saying, hey, I sold this as fiction. They told me to publish it as memoir because oh. no one wanted it as a fiction book. They wanted there to be an autobiographical nature. So they told me to publish it as memoir. So there's kind of this he said, she said uh-huh. of like who said what, who agreed with what, who decided what, where it was going to be published, who decided what facts were good and what weren't. So what I find interesting is, you know, that all died down. Um, Oprah actually ended up apologizing to him because she felt bad about how she had kind of ambushed him and then how much he was taken to task. And he on the show did a terrible job of defending himself. He kind of said, you know, hey – uh, the same demons that drove me to drugs and alcohol kind of drove me to keep this machine going, you know, the self-feeding ego part of it. So here's where I fall on this. I read it before the scandal and I, I did loved too. it. I did too. I tore through it. Yeah. I thought it was phenomenal. I thought the writing was great. If you read critiques that came out prior to 2005, when this, the Oprah interview happened, mm-hmm. when he went on the first time and was on the Oprah's book club. If you read critiques prior to that, it, it, 
really got a lot of great reviews and mm-hmm. great critiques. People had a lot of wonderful things to say, not and not really about the story, which generally isn't what gets the critiques. It's the style of writing. The writing it's yeah. the ability to so engage visceral you. visceral and like, Yes, yeah. it was just... So now, if you look after 2006, all of a sudden, all mm-hmm. these critiques are, it's terrible writing, it's not even a good book. Because the only defense at that point is, well, if the story's not true, then the writing's terrible. And that's why I still pick it, because it's not true. Uh-huh. The writing in this book is phenomenal. I don't really care if it was true or wasn't true. I don't, I, that doesn't give me any sort of more buy into the story or less buy into the story. There are so many fiction books that have uh, opened my eyes about things, gave me a different viewpoint, gave me so much empathy for maybe a different type of person than I am so that I understand where they're coming from that I could never say, well, just because this isn't true, it's not good now. Mm-hmm. Because I just don't think that's the case. Fiction has that very unique way of reaching a lot of people. And most, in my opinion, my other issue with it is that most memoirs that are purported to be nonfiction, at the end of the day, it's someone's perspective. Of course. And it's going to be, there's going to be lots of things that are sort of fudged. I mean, our memory, yeah. just yes. human memory is fallible. Yes. So yeah. We know that just from the studies on eyewitnesses. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you and I can see something and do something the same. We're both going to have a different viewpoint about yep. how it happened. And certainly if it has something to do with something we're ashamed of or feel vulnerable, vulnerable about yeah we're gonna have an even bigger issue really telling the truth about that and then incident. if drugs are involved i mean your brain's gonna be messed up anyway right so right wow so my only issue is that if you want to critique this and say he didn't do a good job of encapsulating a drug experience then i guess we could have a discussion about that but outside anything else on that i'm not sure that there's a critique to be had based on well, he said it was nonfiction and it's not. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's something dishonest in that people went into it and bought it because it was nonfiction and they're sad because it is a fiction book. I don't know very many people that that would upset in in my life that are avid yeah, readers. Yeah. Uh, reading is an experience. It is what it is. I mean, that's true in a lot of art forms, really. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. The whole thing is fascinating to me. It is. I would love to fast forward and see how that would play out today. If it would play out the same way. I'd love to know if that book would have been more accepted as a fiction book in the era that we live in now. It's so fascinating. I didn't know that part Mm -hmm. that he Mm -hmm. said, you know, that uh, this was supposed to be fiction in the very first place. Mm -hmm. And they kind of pressured him into. That's amazing. Because he went to a bunch. I mean, it was rejected tons. And he was selling it as fiction. That makes me curious to like be in those meetings where he they're trying to convince him to like let's just make it a memoir, right? And like how right. that went down. I also think it's a really interesting commentary on how we make judgments as society, which we know is flawed. I mean, we know that out of the gate. But part of what people hated about it wasn't even so much what he did, but that he didn't seem contrite enough in his interviews after or he came across as arrogant. So not only are you saying you have a problem with the book because of this, you're actually saying you have a problem with him how uh-huh. he reacted, which really bothers me. I, that's, I've always hated that. I mean, you, everyone knows I'm an avid Dateline watcher and my number one trigger on there is when a, when someone says, well, they didn't act like somebody who was upset. What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, we, everyone acts differently. Yes. Like, we yeah. all know that we have so many different feelings and thoughts and they all come out differently. And we're going to, two people are going to respond to the same event completely opposite of each other. Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I think, honestly, I, I just, I really think it's a good book. Yeah. I think it's a really good book for a drug experience. I think it's a really interesting look at rehab. It's an interesting look at the other characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it's interesting now to read because of that yeah. scandal. So, Have you seen like, 
Um, if you go into a bookstore now, mm-hmm. is it in fiction? Is it in nonfiction? I believe it what? is in fiction. It is. Um, okay. I think. And it's published now with like an off, like a publisher's note in it. Really? Like kind of referencing the scandal. Like they felt like, because one of the things that the publisher tried to do to fix it was that if you bought it as a memoir and nonfiction and were upset. I vaguely remember that. That now. it yeah. wasn't, you could get your money back. But you basically like had to sign an affidavit that you bought it because <laughs> it wasn't, I'm not even lying, because it was a memoir and it was just real gray and weird. It seems like they were just creating work for themselves yeah. for no good reason. No reason. Yeah. Do you think, you know, as I, as we're talking through this, do you think the reactions are so, um, so, oh my God, because it is about drugs. Yes. I mean, we as a culture have such a weird relationship with drugs mm-hmm. anyway. And so to, you know, to look at this as a piece of fiction versus a piece of nonfiction, I wonder if it is because drugs are involved that the reactions were so, um, and I'll take it one further because thinking about 2003, um, I think it had to do with drugs, and I also think it had to do with when you take out some of the stuff that probably isn't 100% true, which mm-hmm. was some of the really gritty stuff, people thought that it was weird that he didn't have these horrible life experiences that, um, A, like, pushed him into drugs, yeah. and B, that it wasn't gritty enough of a message, like, oh, drugs are bad, you know? Right. And I think that that's a misnomer, too, like, kind of like your book, I mean... Okay, there's an empty feeling, but there wasn't some trauma or something that precipitated no. this crazy drug use. And I think people had a real problem with that, especially yes. – I think we've come a long way in the last 15, 16 years with that. But I think people really had a problem with the idea that you could just be that sad that you could yes. make bad decisions. Yes, you're right. I think there is that narrative that we have to be traumatized in some way – for us to turn to drugs and for like society to pardon us mm-hmm. for that or something. It really goes to the whole, the whole thing about his, him in the interviews too, of not being contrite enough. That whole feeling is, is there too and saying, well, that feeling isn't worth doing drugs over. Well, how mm-hmm. do you know? How yeah. do you know what that was to that person? Or how do you know how they're dealing with that emotion? So yeah, that is really why I pick it because I really do think everyone should read it. I think it's a great book. I yeah. think that it got taken over by a scandal that was unfortunate because actually I do think it's good writing and i've read his other books and i enjoyed them as well but he i truly believe this book you won't be able to put it down mm-hmm. it's a very different writing style it's gripping it's gritty it's different and it's whether it's fiction or nonfiction, whether he drew on parts of his life or didn't i don't really care he wrote a great story yeah so it is what it is it is opinion. so interesting to me too that we moralize so much that way but at the same time we sort of romanticize the people who have done drugs yes. famously yeah. and that actually gets into my picks look at that transition Woo! boom transition <laughs> a million little transitions <laughs> My pick is a really short graphic novel um, called My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies by Ed Brubaker <laughs> and Sean Phillips. Such a great title. I know. Okay. Um, it's from 2018. And Ellie is a teenager. And she's in rehab. She's over the whole thing, though. She won't share stories in the group. She encourages a teenage boy to sneak out and have pot with her. Okay. So, like, she's, you know, she's like, I don't, I don't want to do any of this. Right, like, drugs right. are fine. Growing up, she went to AA and NA meetings with her mother. So she knows this doesn't last, that rehab isn't necessarily the cure to okay. any of this. And, in fact, she romanticizes drugs a lot. She remembers being obsessed with Billie Holiday and Graham Parsons and Judy Garland and all of these other musicians and artists who were constantly needing the next pill or the next needle or whatever mm-hmm. in order to create, in order to add to culture when it right. comes down to it. Um, they all challenged the status quo and made incredible art because p- 
at least in, in some way, because of their addictions. Right. So she romanticizes this. And through the story, we soon start to understand that she's there in rehab for a reason that's not necessarily due to drugs. She's oh. targeting this boy because she's involved in some 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 crime, you might say. Oh. But she's targeting this boy, Skip, for something in particular. But she ends up falling for him. And they mm. go on the run. And things happen from there. What I really liked about this book is that romanticizing factor that I think so much of us do that anyway. We do it with musicians and actors. We call them cursed, but we also call them heroes in a way. Um, But at the same time, you know, the common addict, like maybe James Frey, the junkie, we have no empathy for. We think they're lazy. They have no self-control. They're not contrite enough. Um, They're the dregs of humanity in some way. Um, Here, too, I like that she grew up the child of addicts. And she sees the dirty side of everything, but she still feels like there's this truth that those addicted to drugs have that maybe the rest of us don't have. That somehow addiction makes you see humanity in a way that the rest of us don't. Okay. Um, She even says at some point, why do we automatically think getting clean is a great thing? What if drugs help you find the thing that makes you special? So the book, it really ups the heartbreak of life. It's really short, potent, very... uh, uh, good and painful. And it's interesting because the author, he based this in part on his own experience. Mm. Um, he went to meetings with his mom at a young age and he romanticized addicts at the same time as seeing the reality of addicts. Right. So that really strange dichotomy is what he brings to this graphic novel. Wow. So like I said, really short, very quick read. I think I read it in like a half hour. Done. Wow. Very Sounds powerful. Great. Yeah. yeah. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. You're so good at the graphic novel. That's such an area that you're opening my eyes to because, good. yeah, I just, it's not an area that I knew enough about to even, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to dive in. You feel kind of out, you know, like yes. if you don't have knowledge of it. So yeah. it's great to get some of these to kind of get your toe in the water and then get into the, like some of those bigger ones like Saga and yes. all those other ones that and you yeah, recommended. This one, is, this one is self-contained. Yeah. Um, and just like in a lot of graphic novels, the art actually serves the story. The way it's drawn is sort of like, Almost like memory, how memories are sort of fuzzy. Yeah. And and then when she actually remembers things, there's a whole different color scheme. It's really, really cool. It's very cool. Yeah. I The few, I mean, the graphic novels that I have read, I feel like it's a very different reading experience and, and a very cool one, like yes. just something totally different that I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of sort of feel almost more immersed, which is odd because I, I mean, obviously we love to read mm-hmm. and I can lose myself in a book, no problem, but it's just a a different feeling. Can you imagine too, like if you're the writer and you're working with an artist and somehow you have to communicate to that artist, like what, how you're seeing the character. Oh my gosh. And like, you know, they're showing you this like, nope, got to look, you know, darker, got to look like yeah. lighter. Like that would be a really fascinating experience. You're right. Yeah, do. that would be, that would be very interesting. Huh? Well, that sounds great. I need yeah. to put that on my list. Yeah. All right. Well, my, um, Second pick is is straight nonfiction. This is mm-hmm. done by an investigative journalist, so there's no scandal or controversy here. This is nonfiction. It's called Methland, The Death and Life of an American Small Town. Oh, dear. By Nick Redding. And this was published in 2009, 2009 excuse me. Um, and it tells the story of Old Line, Iowa, actually, oh. is the main one of the main towns in the story. And it is the rise of crystal meth and what happened in this town. So... Um, this is like a lot of small towns, old wine is, and that it's been left in the dust by, you know, the ag industry, the consolidation, the movement of farming and, you know, some of those things that are, you know, supposed technological advances and then the, what, to, what that does to areas that, you know, that was their main um, 
fourth source of industry and profit. Uh, so the economy is completely depressed. People are leaving that area in droves. So on top of dealing with all these issues in this town, this is when meth hits, which we know um, Iowa is a place that has gotten a lot of the small towns have gotten ravaged Capital by this. Of the world. Yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. just been taken. So it's this highly addictive, cheap um, to make in some cases, and it's all over the town. So what he did was he spent four years in this area, and he takes us through the battle of what meth is doing in this town through multiple characters. You've got the town doctor. You've got the town prosecutor. You've got a meth addict. You've got um, someone that works for DHS family members of people that have been lost to it, family members of people in prison. Um, It is a fascinating way to explore something from every angle. He doesn't leave any stone unturned. And you get really invested in all these people's stories. And I thought it it was a genius way to do this because it's not just – you're not just looking at the town doctor as what he's seeing. You also see him in his personal life and you see how the effects of what he's seeing every day in this town, what that effect is having on him and his own decisions. Um, same with the town prosecutor, you know, someone that goes into law for never probably thought that they would end up in a small town prosecuting thousands and thousands of meth cases because that's primarily what the source of crime is. Um, it also explores the uh, rise of meth in the United States, where it's coming from, how it's here, how it continues to stay here, why it has such a grip. And it really – it just stuck with me as a great portrait because as an investigative journalist, you did a great job of the facts but also interweaving a narrative in it so you feel really propelled by the story of these characters. But you're also learning a lot about something that you maybe wouldn't know just from you know a 10-minute news bite or you know an hour-long documentary or something. Mm-hmm. You're really getting a deep look at that. And it gives you kind of like you said a humanized side to some of the addicts and the deep despair that they're in, um, the deep despair of – the people trying to serve the town of how are they ever going to get out of this? How are they ever going to stop this? You know, it's just rolling to other parts of the United States full force. So it's a very interesting read. It's a great nonfiction book, especially if you're from Iowa, it's interesting that, you know, it takes place there. Um, And he has a very engaging writing style. So Mm -hmm. it, it sort of reads like a novel. I won't say that because you're jumping around a lot, but it, it has that pacing that it keeps you going. Mm -hmm. So, wow. Yeah. Can you imagine four years no. spent just researching this, not even writing it necessarily? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. The rise of meth is so fascinating to me, too, because it's it's such a different, at least in the, the media exposure of it, it's such a different demographic than, say, when the crack and cocaine epidemic was sweeping the country in right. the 80s. And it's interesting to see, like, media coverage of it as a result, mm-hmm. like what that means and even how it affects our politics. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's interesting too, because, you know, in a day and age where we talk a lot about class and class mm-hmm. divides, it's interesting that people that are addicted to meth are often, there's, there's a, a class issue yes. there where they, you know, that's a very look down upon yep. junkie tweaker, you know, yep. that's a, um, and I'm not glamorizing and I'm not saying that it is a lifestyle that should be like upheld, but it's interesting when it you compare that with, we love to watch movies of, about, you know, cocaine dealers yes. and we love to root for Johnny Depp and blow. Yes. But then on, you know, when we, it comes to meth, we're like, Oh no. Yeah. You know? So it's interesting to see how we've created it is, that. It's like supposedly like poor white kind of hicks and, you know, the country mm-hmm. kind of thing versus, you know, 
Glamorous. Johnny Depp in yeah. Miami. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's uh-huh. like a glamour Or like to Wall it. Street traders with cocaine yeah. or something. Yeah. Jordan Belfort, you know, is yes. awesome doing his cocaine. He's not a tweaker, but uh-huh. in reality, yeah, it's the meth is just a derivative of a lot of those. Yeah. So, yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. I imagine that was a sobering read in a it lot was, of ways. It was, yeah. It was, Did it make you want to try meth? No, not oh, even okay. one time. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. But uh, maybe I'm impervious to that because, like, watching Wolf of Wall Street and Blow oh, and things God. like that don't make me want to try cocaine no. either. So, yeah. No. Uh-uh. I, I'm obviously a bit of a control freak because that's the part that is out. I can't yeah. imagine losing control of myself yeah. like that, that I just, it freaks me out. So, yeah. yeah. But no, no. It will okay. definitely do the opposite. Okay. It's probably more effective than dare. <laughs> So more effective than the Reagans telling us don't do it, not to do or that cute little dare bear in that shirt being like just say no. Oh yeah. Oh, the eighties were a interesting time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, lighter note. Yeah. Because sometimes drug stories can be quite funny as well. Um, And in fact, I shared this with you earlier this week so that you would have a little um, reminder. (laughs) Um, So does everyone remember digital shorts? From SNL. And these were made by the Lonely Island guys, uh, Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, and Jorma Taccone. And really all of them, every single one of them are so weird, so delightful, Mm -hmm. so random. You might think they were on drugs when creating them. Who knows? Not to say. um, Can't confirm or deny. But there's one short in particular that's all about drugs, and it's called Great Day. It is a (laughs) dude singing about how it's going to be a great day. And that's it. But also, he has cocaine all over his face. His eyes are crazy red, his house is a wreck, and he's legit losing it. So it is two glorious minutes of Andy Samberg singing and getting crazier and crazier and crazier. And I love this because the guy is in a suit, so he's probably some douche Wall Street trader that let the cocaine lifestyle get away with him. Uh Um, The song speeds up, it gets more ridiculous as he takes frequent breaks to have more cocaine. (laughs) You can watch it again and again, which I did this week, uh-huh. and it gets funnier and funnier it does. each time. I concur. <laughs> and it sort of nails that need that we have to get shit done. So why not take a lot of cocaine and mm-hmm. get everything done? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a great day. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to share this with you so that you could remember it and also um, see if you concur. With oh, this yeah, pick. I do. Okay. One of my favorite parts is when he's looking, when he goes out to the mailman. He's like, no letters from my wife and kids. Great. And he like throws all the mail and the mailman. That look on his face is just like, what? Yes. God, this is such a crappy job. <laughs> yes. And there involves like a whole street is dancing with him, which may or may not be real. Yeah. Um, Terrific. Yeah. 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 It's glorious. I will link to it in our show notes. You should watch it. It's a two-minute hit of delight. It is a two-minute hit of delight. That's a great way And yes, way to I put think it. I watched it like five times this mm-hmm. week. Because when I was doing the notes, I was trying to think of like what pop culture-wise, and then suddenly I remembered this. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, <sighs> I went a different little route here. Oh, okay. Okay. And I picked a show that I thoroughly enjoyed, although I'm going to put a caveat to it. Mm. Um in, it came out in 2005 on Showtime, a show called Weeds, oh. created by Genji Cohen, who oh. later went on to great success with Orange is the New Black and Glow. Um, she, I learned recently that she also originally wrote for The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is where she started. <sighs> so she's the writer, producer, showrunner. Um, it stars Mary Louise Parker as Nancy Botwin. 
And the pitch that uh, Cohen used to get this on the air was widowed suburban wasp pot dealer. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. Just those words. Yeah. Which okay. pretty much describes what I wanted my cartel to be. Yes. Yeah. So what I love about this is that you have this Nancy Botwin character. We learn right out of the gate that her husband has died and she has, he was the primary breadwinner. Oh. They lived in this very affluent suburban neighborhood. She's doesn't know how she's going to support her kids. And so instead of, you know, maybe, I don't know, going back to school or, you know, looking for a job, she realizes that they're quickly not going to be able to afford their lifestyle and keep up with the people who she's thought were her friends sure. and the boys, her kids as friends, all of those things, unless she makes some serious cash. And that's not going to happen with a regular job for someone who hasn't been in the market for mm. quite some time. Okay. So she decides, why not? I can deal pot. I can mm -hmm. do that. Not a problem. So what I love about the show, the first few seasons are amazing. They are just, it, it is that it's set there. It's in this. And it's exactly what you, if you imagine that, what you would picture would be a problem for her coming up. So Kevin Nealon's in it. I mean, there's a lot of great characters yeah. in this cast. But I will, I'm going to say the caveat, I was a fan. I watched it all the way till the end in 2012. There's eight or nine, I think it's eight seasons. Um, it goes off the rails a little bit. I'm not going to lie. We've recommended shows that go Things off the rails. Things get weird. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it goes weird places that I never would have guessed. Sure. And... um maybe took away from some of the, you know, it's hard. I, I'm conflicted as a fan because there's a part of me that wants to say it took away from the original point of the show. But then on the flip side, she's always, you're always see her as ambitious. So yeah. then you're not surprised that she decides that she needs a bigger cartel and to do oh, more and not okay. just stay as the suburban pot dealer. But, but as a result, the story gets wilder and wilder, wilder. which is probably true when you start a yeah. cartel. Well, yeah. it kind of reminds me of the book, The Silk Road, you know, yes. the mastermind of the Silk Road, who it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And all pretty soon he's making decisions he never thought, you know, he'd have to make. So what I like about it, Genji Cohen says that she's fascinated by characters who are people who are functioning outside of society's moral code. Yeah. How do you convince yourself that you're still a moral person if you're doing something illegal? Oof. Which is kind of the summary of a lot of the decisions yeah. that Nancy Bowen has to make. Like you're doing something that that's illegal, but on the flip side, you're, you're providing trying for your family. Yeah, you're yeah. trying to be a moral person. You're trying to do the right thing, even within the context of this illegal mm -hmm. activity. So, uh, great show. Um, I love it. HBO passed on it. Showtime's the one that picked it up. It it got awards. I mean, Emmy awards. Um, much like a lot of Genji Cohen shows, Orange Is the New Black falls into this too. No one quite knew how to categorize it. Sure. Is it a comedy or drama? Same thing happened with Orange Is the New Black. If you follow that, it's been nominated in multiple categories. Um, same thing happened here. And it is a great combination, which you kind of need because when yeah. you really are thinking about the seriousness of the material and what she's really doing and the danger she's putting her family in, you do kind of need some of that, you know, brevity to lighten up, uh, the situation yeah, so yeah. i love it think it's great like i said the first few seasons are my favorite uh -huh. towards the end i was watching it just as a loyal fan maybe sure. not as that's how i was with true blood which i recommended yeah. a few seasons, yeah. uh, episodes ago yeah 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 so is she your guide for then becoming no a, okay no, no. no you would chart your own path yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah that's fair yeah yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. would the story of your rise to drug cartel fame be a comedy or drama Oh, it's got to be both. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's going to be comedic errors all over the place. When you think about it, how can you determine a show as either comedy or drama? Some of our favorite funny shows have some drama in them, yes. too. Yes. Okay. And that's, that's the, what makes yeah, them funny. Exactly. Yeah. Most comedy is not not dramatic. Yeah. 
It's finding the humor in the dramatic. It's like the random like genre descriptions we've talked about books too. How mm-hmm. some books get categorized as something when it makes absolutely no sense could be in another genre altogether. Right. Exactly. <sighs> I think talking about drugs has just got me thinking about the world and how it does. you know. I just keep playing is. that uh, Huey Lewis song in my head. That's my One problem. New drug. <laughs> One that won't make me sick. <laughs> I don't want to pay Huey Lewis anything, so stop singing I'm the sorry. song. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Sorry, he may he may need it now, but yeah, you know, know. It, yeah. What's a good what song? Is Huey Lewis That's up a great to? question. And the news, if you will. Did you think that when we started this episode, we'd end up talking about what Huey Lewis is up to? No, these I didn't. days. I yeah. Didn't. Also, if we do get a hold of Huey Lewis sure. for some reason, or he reaches out, yeah. Number one question. How did he come up with the band name? That's an excellent Huey Lewis question. And the news. Yeah. So they're the- what goes into deciding, like, I need to have my own name and, and then, then the, the rest news. of the band. But you're also kind of burying the headline because they're the news. They're the news. And you're Huey Lewis. The news featuring Huey yeah. Lewis would maybe be better. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody knows the news. I mean, yeah, I got the news. Timeline. It's be- it's important. <laughs> I mean, give me the news. Got my news briefing. I mean, news appears everywhere. Huey, the only other place I can think of is Donald Duck's nephew. What? Huey, Louie, and Dewey. (laughs) I was not following that at all. It's all right. I get it now. Some of our discussions, I imagine some people could be like, are they taking drugs? I can imagine. While they're doing this podcast. No. 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 No, Can you imagine me on drugs? Good Lord, no. No. Yeah, that's too much for anyone to handle. That'd be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I can picture like... Um, some real manic stuff followed mm. by a long Heavesgate episode. And crying. Yes. Laughing, crying. crying. Yes. Laughing, crying. <laughs> Insane laughing. No one understands why she's yeah. laughing. Insane crying. No one understands why she's crying. Absolutely. Which yeah. is kind of your jam anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing would be different. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, that was uppers and downers. It was. We were up. We were down. We were up again. We were down again. And now we end somewhere in the middle or maybe up. Yeah. Up to you to say. Yeah. You, you can pick where you want to be at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be back next Wednesday. But in the meantime, head to our website, broadsandbooks.com, to check out all the recommendations we made in this episode. Also, killer bonus material on the God website. Damn, there is. We got quizzes that we give yeah. each other. We got questions that we answer. We got road trip information. We got mm-hmm. a road trip playlist. And we have a best of from sure the do. first 25 episodes. Yeah, because we're at 27 now. 27. We have reached our quarter life crisis. We are. We are barreling ahead. We are. Yeah. Yes. So go exactly. to the website. Find all that glorious stuff. Check it out. And when you're done listening to all that bonus material, I mean, why don't you tell us how much you love it? Do it. Give us a rating in your mm-hmm. podcast player. Give us a review. We love reviews we do we want to hear them we want to hear from you yes another thing that we also love that our listeners have done is give us theme ideas man we love that uppers and downers was one today we Mm -hmm. had some drugs that wasn't given by a viewer but or listener rather but it could have been yeah if you have great ideas like that we know you do we know you're driving right now and you're like you know what i'd love to hear you talk about Mm -hmm. bring it yeah because if this had been your idea, we would have mentioned your name at least five times in this we episode. Have. We would tag you on our social media. We would have asked. We would have wondered, like, do you think she takes drugs? Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. yeah. We would have said yes and then moved on. Yes. Yep. And exactly. hoped not for a libel suit. <laughs> 
You can find us to submit your ideas um, at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website. In the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open? The dreams are, they're in me, and they're, they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D, Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.